enjoy bringing the generations together. I mean, you take a look around the room, you've got uh, ties and suits and t-shirts and it's just all here in one. A lot of churches are separating the generations, but I think the generations need to come together, especially in the place of worship. And if we didn't sing a song that you didn't know today, that's okay. Our job and our, our aim, our goal is to make everyone uncomfortable in every generation. And if you're uncomfortable, that's good. We have accomplished our objective. So I just thought I'd let you know. But it's great to be back in one service and be here together as one family. Young people need elderly people. I'm not going to define elderly, but elderly people need young adults as well. It kind of keeps us balanced in what's going on in our lives. So take a look around you and say, I'm glad you're here today no matter how old you are. Go ahead, tell them. So now you're ready for what I'm going to say. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, sort of joke about uh, an Irishman in a wheelchair who entered a restaurant one afternoon and asked the waitress for a cup of coffee. The Irishman looked across the restaurant and asked, is that Jesus sitting over there? The waitress nodded yes. So the Irishman told her to give Jesus a cup of coffee on him, he, would say, he said, my treat. The next patron who came in was an Englishman with a hunchback, and he uh, shuffled over to the booth painfully and sat down, and he asked the waitress for a cup of hot tea. Uh, Ken to Mark, Mattingly, by the way. Green tea, I'm sure, Mark. And uh, he glanced across the restaurant, and he asked, is that Jesus over there? And the waitress nodded. So then he said, give Jesus a cup of hot green tea on me, my treat. The third patron came in to the restaurant, who was a redneck on crutches. He hobbled over to the booth, sat down, and hollered, Hey there, sweet thing, how's about getting me a Mountain Dew? And uh, he too looked across the restaurant and asked, Is that God's boy over there? The waitress nodded, Yes. And so the redneck said, Give Jesus a Mountain Dew on my bill, my treat. So when Jesus was finished, he got up to leave, and he passed by the Irishman, touched him, and said, For your kindness, you are healed. The Irishman felt the strength come back into his legs, got up, and danced a jig to the door, and out he went. Jesus also passed, then the Englishman touched him and said, For your kindness, you are healed. And the Englishman felt his back straighten up, and he raised his hands, praised the Lord, and did a series of backflips on the way out the door. Then Jesus walked towards the redneck. The redneck jumped up and yelled, Hold it, your horses there, fella. Please, whatever you do, don't touch me. I'm drawing disability. That could also be... <laughs> You could also change that if you're a real politician, but I'm not, <clears throat> to the uh, Republican, the Independent, and the Democrat. But never that. We're not going to go there either. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is there are some people who do not want to be healed. I know that's hard for us to believe, but there are people who do not want to change their lives. No matter how painful their lives may be, how difficult their lives have become, they have grown comfortable in their dysfunction, and to change their dysfunction would mean to put them in a new norm, a, a new era, a new dimension in their lives, and they would prefer to stay with what is comfortable, what is known, rather to move into the unknown, which is healing and health and transformation. Jesus is going to go through a series now in Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9 through 10 opportunities for 10 different people to be totally and completely transformed by the power of Jesus. Jesus has the power to transform lives. 
And we're going to see 10 different Sundays through Matthew 8 and 9 how the power of Jesus can transcend any dysfunction, any hurt, any heartache, any pain, any sin, any physical thing that you may have, anything that may be crippling your life. He has the power if we will turn to him to heal us, to liberate us, and to free us from anything and everything that may cripple us and rob us of the freedom and the victory that Christ wants us to have. We can be transformed by the power of Christ. Now, I want us to take a look at the first passage in Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Here we see that this transforming power is, first of all, extended to a man with leprosy. And this man with leprosy comes to Jesus. And in this in this narrative, I want us to take a look as to how we then, as we study the first two verses, how are we to react to our need? How am I to react to my need? In order to be transformed by the power of Christ, you must be aware, you must identify, you must call out your need. I'm convinced there are a lot of people who simply do not receive the healing or the transforming work of the power of Christ in their lives because they are unwilling to admit they have a need. They either deny the need or they, they camouflage the need or they blame the need or they cover up the need. They, they just simply don't want to identify their need. This man has a need. Everyone else around him knows what his need is. You know, I, I find that interesting that somehow, some way, we think that we have masqueraded or covered up or camouflaged our need and no one else is aware of our need. That, that's just simply not true. More than likely, the people that are closest to you and those that are around you, even in your life group, are well aware, even if you don't admit your need, what your need is. This man had leprosy. It was a visible thing that they could see. Everyone around him knew this man had a need for a healing. He had leprosy. It was visible on his body. He had leprosy. But I think the man was also aware of his need. I mean, it's hard to ignore each and every time you look in the mirror that your nose has fallen off or your ears have dropped off. I mean, that's what leprosy does. It attacks the limbs of the body in such a way that eventually over time they erode, they corrode, and they fall off. I've been to a leper colony in Brazil when I was a young boy. My parents were missionaries in South America, Brazil, and I'm not sure why they took us to a leper colony, but they did. And I remember sitting there in the sort of the fountain there in that leper colony, not going into where my father went to preach the gospel to a leper colony in Brazil. But I remember that to this day. And there were people that we could see at a distance walking around with, with um, 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 cloth covered around their face and, and covered over their hands to, to disguise or to cover up the shame of their leprosy. This man knew that he had leprosy and he knew that he needed a cure. Do you know today that you have a need for a cure of some sort? So there's something in your life, some something that's haunting you or that, that's bringing you down, that's robbing you of your victory, and that need then must be reacted to properly because if we don't identify the need and react to that need in the proper way, I'm convinced we'll be robbed of the victory and the success and the freedom that God, through Christ, intended for us to have. So let's take a look at how he reacted to his need. Verse 1, it says, And he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leopard came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
Now, in the next slide, I'm going to give you all six of your points up front. So turn to your neighbor and say, he's going to give us to them right up front. They're going to be right there. Don't worry about it. Have you noticed I didn't fill in the blank today for you? That's Roseanne's fault. She said it helps her stay awake when I speak when uh, she has to fill in the points. So if you'll give me the, that slide up there, we're going to take a look at exactly how then we were to react to need. There are six things that this man did as he reacted to his need. First of all, we see that he seized the opportunity. He seized the opportunity. If you take a look at the text, it says, when he came down from the mountain. He, meaning Jesus, came down from the mountain. We learned earlier on in the Sermon of the Mount where Jesus went up to the hill. It's not really a mountain like we would think in Colorado or something like that, or Colorado, whatever you want to say, but it's not one of those mountains. It's more like a hill. I've been there. I've stood in that place where they believe Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't look much like a mountain to me, but it is sort of elevated over the sea. And so Jesus went up the mountain. He went up the hill to preach what we call, and we've seen for the past 10, 10 months, the Sermon on the Mount. And he proclaimed his message, and he, he set the standard of those who would be his followers and, and how they were to live up to the standard that he set, not the ones of the scribes or the Pharisees who distorted the principles and the precepts of God. And we notice as he was coming down, the Bible says that large crowds continued to follow him. Now, we learned in the last part of the, the chapter prior to the Sermon on the Mount that large crowds were already following him, and they followed him to each and every city. And it was like everywhere Jesus went, there were just large crowds. And after Jesus set this standard that was higher than any other standard that had never been set, the large crowds were, we saw last week how they were, they were uh, in awe of him at his authority. And I'm convinced that they continued to follow him, even though he raised the standard, primarily because they wanted to learn more. They wanted to know more about what he was speaking and how he was speaking, because they had never heard anyone ever speak with this kind of authority. And so the crowds continued to follow him. And Jesus was on his way now down to the mountain to the city of Capernaum. He's on his way. There's a destination that he has in mind. There's a purpose for which we're going to see next week that is awaiting him in Capernaum where there's going to be a need for him to minister according to the gospel, according to Mark, Matthew. And so, and Mark 2 and Luke, they all three record this gospel. So Jesus is on his way to Capernaum and he's coming down from the mountain and we see that a leopard takes, he seizes the opportunity now to speak to Jesus. Now, I thought about that for a little while while I looked at this text. There were large crowds that were following Christ, but only one received a miracle. Only one received healing. Only one was touched by the power that liberated him from his leprosy and from his shame, if not his sin. Only one. In a large crowd, we're we're not told how many, but in a large crowd that followed Jesus, only one. Why? I'm convinced this man seized the opportunity. Jesus was finished with his message. And he was on his way to Capernaum. He was, I would like to think, on a country road somewhere. Kind of reminds me of a song, country road. You know, anybody know that song? Anybody redneck like I am? Okay. And so he was on a country road and, and large crowds were following him. And boom, here comes this leper who intervenes, who intercepts Jesus on the way to Capernaum. It's, it's not something Christ had planned, but it's something he had planned, and he seizes the moment, he seizes the opportunity. I'm convinced many people miss Christ because they do not seize the opportunity of the moment. 
We're not guaranteed many moments in our lives where the power of Christ can affect us so that we can be eternally changed. But when Christ is present and you sense his presence and you see him passing your way, you must at that moment seize that opportunity or you will miss the power of Christ and his healing touch in your life. This man seized the opportunity. Secondly, he not only seized the opportunity, but he stepped out in faith. Notice then what happens in the second part of verse 2. And behold, a leper came to him. Anytime you read in Scripture, and behold, that means you better pay attention. It's, it's the way that the writer, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to sort of get our attention. I think I've told you this before, but it's been quite some time. I had a, a, an evangelist friend in, in um, and he's now in Oklahoma. He's retired. He still does some things named Wayne Bristow. And uh, we went to Brazil together. And Wayne would always say, lock in. And he would say that about 20,000 times in his message. Drove me nuts. But the objective is pay attention. Lock in. Something is about to be said that's important. <clears throat> that's what the writer's doing here. And behold, lock in. Pay attention. Behold, a leper. Notice how Matthew through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, identifies a man, a leper. He doesn't call him by name. We don't know his occupation. We don't know anything else about him other than he is identified as a leper. How would you like to be identified for all eternity in Scripture as simply a leper? He's identified by his disease. Now, the disease of leprosy was a cruel disease. Unlike today, there's no medication in the time of Jesus for leprosy. If you got leprosy, it was a death sentence. Everyone looked upon you, related to you, and dealt with you in the form of a dead person. You were already regarded as dead. Imagine how hard that would be to get credit anywhere. You don't loan money to a dead person. They were already seen as hopeless, dead already, Physically, emotionally, they were cut off from their family. If they were married, they lost their relationship with their spouse. They no longer saw their children. They no longer went to family reunions. No one no longer sat down at the table. They couldn't go in the city streets. They couldn't go anywhere. They were ostracized. The only place they lived and dwelt was among other lepers in a leper colony. And if they high chance happened to be traveling, more than likely from one leper colony to another, they would have, if they came into the presence of other people, would say, unclean, unclean, meaning stay back. Don't get close to me. Because if you get close to me, you're going to get leprosy. You're going to get infected because it is a highly infectious, contagious disease. Kind of like all the conflict over and over measles. You know, do I inoculate or do I do not and all that. And if you are in proximity of someone else that has the measles, you're going to get measles. I've already had it. How many of you already had measles? I survived it. And I'm fairly normal. Fairly. Just depends on what day you catch me. But, uh, I mean, it's a highly infectious disease like measles. It, it transfers one person to another. And if you were around someone, a relative or a spouse or a father or a child that had leprosy, and you touched them, you were instantly, automatically declared by the priest to be unclean, and you were ostracized from everyone else's company. It was a horrific disease. Religiously, you could not practice your faith. 
You were, you were not allowed into any city that was walled, much less Jerusalem. You were banned from Jerusalem, which meant you could never go to the temple to offer sacrifices for your sin. So therefore, you had no atonement for your sin against God. And you didn't need atonement in any way because most people considered leprosy as a curse from God, a discipline from God, like God did to Moses' wife, and we're not going to go there because that would create some conflict among marriages today, but it was seen and regarded as something that was a punishment from God. So everyone thought and assumed that everyone that had leprosy was because God was dealing with the sin in their lives. And so leprosy was a cruel disease, and it was one that if you got during the time of Jesus, you just might as well write your will, go off to leprechaun and get ready to die. Because that's what's going to happen. And here this man is identified simply by a leper. How would you like to come in today and everyone identify you with your disease? They don't call you by name. They just call you out by your disease. The reality is that all of us have a disease in here. It's a disease called sin, don't we? For the Bible says, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wage of that sin is death. And so we, in all essence, are much like the leper. We are dead people walking, aren't we? And so we need to look at each other and just, when you greet each other on the way out today, just shake their hand and say, good to see you, sinner. Well, it's good to see you too, sinner. And if you know their sin, just blurt it out. Tell me how that works for you. I'll be in the foyer out there with a whistle, and we'll kind of referee the, the altercation. And he said, and a leper, notice the leper, in spite of his leprosy, knowing that he's not supposed to be around anyone, and particularly large crowds, he's been ostracized, he's been forbidden to get into large crowds, has the audacity to come to him, to Jesus. He steps out in faith, believing that Christ can heal him of his leprosy. And he steps out in faith. He steps toward Jesus. He takes the initiative to come to Christ. Christ did not call him. Christ did not see him. But he initiates and he steps forward and he approaches Christ. How did he step out that way? It was by faith. He was in complete disregard of the law, in defiance of the crowd and all of the the legalistic ramifications of his leprosy, and he steps up toward Jesus in this large crowd. He steps out in faith, and he submits to the authority of Jesus. Notice what happens in the next phrase, and he knelt before Christ. And he knelt before Christ, or before him. That is, in my opinion, him giving reverence to Jesus. He fell prostrate before the Lord. He fell on his face before Christ. He was prostrate before the Lord. He had his face in the dirt. That, that is a sign of reverence. Well, I know it, it is maybe a, a common greeting in the day and period of time, but you've got to interpret this in light of what happens next. For he he not only recognizes the power of Christ, but he asks Christ to heal him. He calls him Lord. So I'm convinced that this act is an act of worship, where he, in humility, in all honesty, falls on his face before Christ in an act of reverent worship. And notice he recognizes the power of Christ, where it says, And he fell before him, saying, Lord. 
Now, I know that Lord is a common greeting as well, but you've got to take in context the whole narrative in which he is now about to ascribe to Jesus deity. He believes that Christ has divine power to heal, and so he believes that Christ is elevated above man, and he simply calls him Lord. He's saying, you as the Son of God have authority over all, and you have authority over my disease. There is nothing that Christ does not have authority over. There is nothing that Christ doesn't have authority over. You may think that you have authority, but you don't. You may think that what is crippling me, what is robbing me of my victory, what is denying me all the blessings of what it means to follow Christ, you you may believe that even Satan himself, who is dominant maybe in your life and creating havoc in your life, may have authority. And while he has authority, I'm here to remind you that Christ is the ultimate authority over all. Because he is Lord over all. And our, I'm going to do another commercial, Mike, but our, our class tonight, all of the, all of the, the, uh, the judgments of God in the book of Revelation is a sign where God is saying to the enemy, Satan, you think you are in charge, buddy, but you're not. I am sovereign Lord over all. And eventually, my judgment will fall upon rebellious mankind and Satan himself. God is the ultimate authority. And he reigns and rules over everything. Which brings us to number four. After I seize the opportunity to step out in faith and submit to his authority, I need to surrender to the sovereignty of Christ. There's an aspect of surrender here where he says, Lord, if you will. That word, if, don't go over that quickly. It's a very important word in the context of this narrative. If is what I believe is the largest two-letter word in our vocabulary today and in any vocabulary. If. The word if means there is a condition that must be met before an action can be taken. There is a condition that must be met before an action can be taken. He is not, he is not doubting the power of Christ, as some might want to suggest. What he's saying is, if it is your will, here's the condition. The condition is, I am aware enough and astute enough to know that there is a condition to my healing. The condition that has to happen before I am healed is the will of God. If it is your will, he understands that God being the sovereign and God being all authoritative has to will something to happen before it happens. If it be your will, he is addressing Jesus. He believes that the only cure that can cure him is divine. And he's speaking to Christ, and I'm convinced, this man is convinced, that he believes Jesus is a representative, if not the Son of God. You are divine, and you have divine authority, and if it is your will, because you know the Father's will, then therefore if it is your will, you will heal me. And basically he's asking, is it your will? I think most of us would, would, would probably have a hard time with this particular point because the reality is most of us have a hard time surrendering to the will of the Father because the reality is that most of us want what we want even if it's not what He wants. I mean, we're all self-centered. 
we're all human beings, and we all want what we want. We, we all want what we want. And if I want it, I want it. And God, I don't care if you want it for me or not. I want it because I know what's best for my life. I know what I need. And you're not providing what I need. And so as a result of that, I'm, I'm not going to wait on you to will it or, or for you to, to bring it in my life. I want it. And he's saying, no, not my will, but your will be done. Isn't that what Jesus prayed when he was in the garden, in the upper, in the garden, but right before he was suspended on the cross? He said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He's saying, I need to be healed, but I want your will to be done in my life through this leprosy. I wonder what it is that God has in mind. What is his purpose? What is his will in regard to whatever it is you're going through today? Have you even asked that question? Lord, is it your will? Because I think, quite frankly, sometimes healing is not God's will. Paul prayed three times for his thorn to be removed from his side, and God said what? Yet, that means not, never, no. Why? Because God gave him grace that was more than sufficient to sustain him in his hour of need because that, that thorn gave glory to the Father through the Apostle Paul. Healing is not always God's will. And there are times in our lives where we'd like to say, Lord, your will be done, and yet we're honestly not really saying your will because we know what we will, and we want God's will to be our will, and we think if we can be persistent enough to pray about it, then, then God's going to change his mind. Well, I'm here to tell you, God never changes his mind. He never changes his purpose. And as the sovereign, authoritative Lord of lords and King of kings, he has a purpose and intent in our lives, and we must recognize God what is your will in regard to my circumstance? So, after we seize the opportunity, step out in faith, submit to Christ's authority, and surrender to Christ's sovereignty, we must then show an authentic faith. There's an aspect about an authentic faith. Notice the text. You can make me. You can make me. You can. Notice his confession. His confession is a proof of an authentic faith. You can. He says, if you will, you can. You can. There, there, is, there are no limitations to what you can do. You are awesomely more powerful than anything on the planet, than any disease that is here. You can. There is no limit to what you can do. This is a confession that Jesus is sufficient and that he is more than able, more than ample to supply for his need. You can you ever question the power of God in your circumstance? you ever doubted his ability to help you rise above the fray? Have you ever wondered if what you are facing is more than he can handle? Well, we need to step up in faith and show that he can, he can, he has more power and he can. He is more than sufficient, more than able. He is all powerful, and there are no limitations to what he can and will do. You can make me. Notice the commitment, make me. It wasn't some aspect of, you know, throw it out there for everybody. You can make me. There was a personal commitment here. There was a, a, a personal request. He was being very specific. He said, Lord, you can make me. I am the one who needs the miracle. It, it ain't my brother, ain't my sister, but it's 
me, O oh Lord. It's me. There has to be a recognition that it's me that needs a touch from the master. It is me that needs his power. It is me that cannot handle it no longer on my own. This man had reached the end of his rope. There was nothing he could do to cure himself of leprosy. He had been to all the experts. He had been pronounced unclean. He was, he was not, there was no chance. There was no possibility of ever being healed unless Jesus did it for him. And it was a specific request. And he was showing authentic faith through his confession and his commitment. And he says, finally, in verse 2, make me clean. The word in the original language, make clean, in our language is two words, but in the original language is one, make clean. Make clean. Make me clean. I need to be cleansed. He was ceremonially unclean. He was unfit to stand in the temple and present himself before God. He was pronounced unclean. And because he was unclean, he needed Jesus to touch him to make him clean. For if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He could not clean himself of leprosy any more than you and I can cleanse ourselves of sin. And he was looking to Jesus to do for him what he himself could not do. So that's how we react. But what will Christ reply to our plea? If we, like him, bring our plea, bring our prayer to Jesus, how will he respond? Notice the text. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now let's take a look at six things about the response that Jesus gives to this man. First of all, he will receive me. If I come to him... Similar to what this man did, he will always receive me. Notice the text in verse 3. And Jesus, I like it the way Matthew addresses Christ. He says, and Jesus. He refers to him as Jesus. The word Jesus simply means Yahweh saves. In whom are we saved? In no other name other than Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. He is the salvation that we are looking for. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. He is the one. Jesus Christ is the answer and the solution to our need. And Jesus, Yahweh saves, stretches out his hand. I mean, he didn't rebuke him. He didn't resist him. He didn't run from him. He received him. I mean, Jesus is is walking alongside the countryside on his way to Capernaum with a large crowd following him, and a man steps out into the crowd who has leprosy. It's obvious by everyone there, and Jesus sees him, and he hears the man's request. He stops, sees the man's need, and the Bible says, Matthew says, he reaches out. He reaches out to him. He doesn't reject him. Jesus didn't heal everybody. But he's going to heal him because this man's stepping out and he is going to be received. And if you step toward him, it's great to know that he will receive you. I think some of us have a real hard time with that. Not all of us, but some of us do. Because we have what I want to call a false humility. 
and thinking that somehow that we're not approachable to God or to Christ because there's something within our lives that, that makes us unapproachable, that if we approach him, he's going to reject us. He's not going to receive us, but he will. If we, by faith, will step out and turn to him and approach him, he will receive us. He will receive me. He will then respond sympathetically. He responded sympathetically to the leper. Notice in the text, and touched him. And touched him. He not only reached out, but he touched him. It was unlawful for anyone to touch a leper because if you did, you would contract leprosy. You you wouldn't do that. Jesus, unafraid, undaunted by the man's leprosy, knows that he cannot get leprosy. Why? He's the Son of God. He's divine. And he reaches out and he touches him. And the word touched him isn't just a a gentle little like that, but it has a tendency to, to imply that he grabbed him, that he held on to him, that he touched him more than just, you know, but he held him. He held him. You know, there's something about a touch, isn't there? There's something about it. Somebody not long ago, we were talking about ordination. and said, well, why do people lay hands on the person being ordained? I said, because there's, there's some kind of power through praying over someone when you are touching them as you're praying for them. There, there is power when you're trying to console someone and you, you just reach out and you just gently touch them. It, it's a it's a sympathetic acknowledgement of their pain, their heartache, and their hurt. Jesus didn't touch everyone that he healed. But this man, he touches. Because he sees the man in his need, and he is moved with compassion for this man. And out of, out of recognition, and out of, out of kindness, out of grace, he reaches down, and he touches him. And he responded sympathetically to the man. You know... The Father isn't unsympathetic toward your need. The Father isn't unsympathetic toward your need. He's not. He cares about you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him, he loved you. And because he loved you, he gave his one and only Son. You did not love him, but he loved you before you loved him. He was sympathetic toward your need, and he sent Christ to die on the cross for you to take upon himself your sin against God so that through faith in him you might be reconciled to him. He loved you, and he still loves you. He is a sympathetic, caring, loving God who will reach out to you in your need, and he will touch you where you are and remind you that his presence is not only real, but his power is available. Responded sympathetically to this man's need, and he responds sympathetically to yours. Number two, number three, he revealed God's will. Notice what he says in the text. I will. He said to him, he spoke. The Bible says, notice it, and he touched him saying, he said, he said something to the man. There are, there's power in the words of Christ. I'm going to remind you there are power, there's power in the words of Christ. And if we read the words that are in this book, there are, there's power in these words. Don't underestimate the, the, the power of a word spoken. And when Christ spoke these words, power flowed from his words. There's power in his word. When you need power, go to his word. 
Go to his word. Because there's power in these words. And he spoke, and notice what he spoke. I, Jesus, will. I will. I will. He says, I am inclined to do so. I want to heal you. So be it as you have said, I will it. And those are the best words we could possibly hear ever from God. When we say, Lord, what is your will? I need healing. And he says, it is my will. I will heal you. Awesome. When's it going to happen? Over this guy right now. Because he releases divine power. Notice in the text, be clean. Be clean. To be or to become healed is what that means in the original text. Now, what, y'all, what I want you to know is this is a snapshot event. It is a one-time thing in which this happened to this man. It, it's a bam, it happened. Bam, he said it. Be, be clean. Bam, it happened. But also, this word be clean is also in the passive tense. This verb is in the passive tense, meaning this guy did absolutely nothing to be healed. He had had nothing to do about it. There was nothing that he did in order to receive what he received from Christ. It was all Jesus and it was none of him. Kind of like salvation, isn't it? It's, It's nothing that we bring to the table. It's all him. And Jesus simply spoke and it was all Jesus who stepped forward now and who said, be clean. But notice it is in the imperative, which means that it's a command. He gave an exhortation and in the power of his word he said, be clean. And he was clean. And when did it happen? Notice it says in the text, he renewed his condition in the text. And immediately, Matthew said, and immediately. That word immediately is a huge word. It means without delay, without hesitation. As soon as Jesus communicated the words, be clean, immediately he was healed. Immediately. There was no delay. Transformed his life. Changed him completely. Because it said his leprosy was cleansed. It says his leprosy didn't say he was healed. It said his leprosy was cleansed. Remember, he is ceremonially unclean. He is unfit to enter into the presence of God and to offer his sacrifices. Why? Because he needs cleansing. And Jesus cleansed him of his disease. He cleansed him. He was clean. And the word cleanse has a tendency to convey the idea of washing. And he was washed whiter than snow. He was clean. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like to put on clean clothes, don't you? Unlike some of my children when they were growing up, they just kind of put on the same old stuff over and over again. You know? Sometimes I thought maybe their jeans could throw them in the corner and they'd stand up by themselves. And I just never could figure that out. But I like clean things. I like they smell clean and they look clean. And, 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 and this guy is clean. I mean, he's, he's been cleansed. There's no sin. He's whole. His leprosy is gone. He's been cleansed. And now he can enter into the presence of God and worship because he's been cleansed. Sounds like salvation, doesn't it? And notice what Jesus does, though. He requires obedience from the man after his cleansing. 
You know, when, when we're transformed by the power of Christ, we just don't get to boobop around and live our lives any way we want to. There's requirements after the cleansing, after salvation takes place. There's a responsibility to live for Christ and to obey his commandments and to follow his word and to be his disciple who follows his precepts and who follows in his steps to become more and more like him because that is what cleansing does. It begins the sanctifying process in which as we begin this sanctifying process, we're being transformed ever daily into the likeness of Christ. That transformational work is a process that starts at salvation and continues. And Jesus requires obedience from the man. Notice in the text, and Jesus said to him, Jesus says to him, now remember, he's there and he has spoken to this man. He has healed this man. There is a large crowd who is witnessing what is happening here. And Jesus speaks to the man, not to the ones who are there. Undoubtedly, there were others who saw and witnessed the miracle. And he speaks to the man. He singles him out. He has a specific word of instruction for this man. Not for the ones in the crowd. And I'm convinced the ones in the crowd went away and told everybody about what happened. But this guy specifically, he says, I'm going to single you out. And this is what I want you to do. And there are times while there is a will that God has for all of us generically in the body of Christ. There are times when Christ speaks individually into our lives, singles us out, and gives us something that he wants us to do, some purpose that he wants us to fulfill, some mission that he wants us to carry out. He speaks into this man's life, and notice what he says, see that you say nothing to anyone. What's he saying about that? I think Jesus is saying, for right now, not forever, but for now, I don't want you to say anything about what's just happened to you. There, there's a moment that I want you to just sort of keep this to yourself. Now, there's a reason for that. Notice what he says. The word but is a huge word, and the word here means first, I think. Whenever you read in the text and there's something like this, and all of a sudden there's a, according to the inspiration of the Spirit, a word that sort of connects the two, but he's saying, however, first, I, this is what I want you to do for now, first, I want you, notice, to go show yourself to the priest. There's a respect for the word of God here because legally, in order for him to be pronounced cleansed and healed, he would have to go and see a priest and a priest would then pronounce him to be clean. That's in the scriptures according to the book of Leviticus. They are still following law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And he's still being respectful of the law, and he wants this man to still be respectful of God's word. He said, I want you then to be respectful of the word of God. I want you to go to the priests, and I want them to examine you, respect the word of God. And notice he said, and offer the gift that Moses commanded. I want you to reverence God for your healing. I want you to give glory to God for your healing. I want you to give a gift for your healing. Recognize that what you have received has come from God, not from me. God is the one that has healed you through my touch. It is the Father responsible for what you have received. And I want you to go back to the place of worship and to offer an offering as commanded by Scripture. You know, I could talk all day long about tithing and giving on this one little deal here. Now, we can, we can show our reverence to God by singing and by studying, and by going, and by serving. That's not what he asked this guy to do. He said, I want you to give a gift that Moses commanded. I want you to drop something in the plate. I want you to give financially. 
I mean, think about it. This leper has been a leper for quite some time. What did he have to give? Where did he get what he had to give in order to give it? I don't know. Did he have a job? I mean, he couldn't have had much income. Somebody said, well, I don't have much to give. It's not what amount. It's out of obedience. And he says here, reverence me by giving thanks. How do we give thanks? By giving financially. Because there's nothing that extends my heart of gratitude to God by then giving financially. I think praise from my mouth is good. And I think doing is good. But when you give, there's something about something that comes that is personal. It's costly. It's from the heart. When I give God financially, it, it, it's, it, it's an extension of me. It, it's not cheap. It's, it's cheap to sing, really. It's inexpensive to go out and do. But to give from my hard-earned income, that's an extension of me. And he says, I want you to reverence me and give me thanks by giving an offering. And then lastly, then to prove that I am who I am. There is something he's asking him to do. I want them to record this because I want proof of what I did. Because Not because I'm a, I'm a guy who wants recognition for what I do. But he says, I want the priests, scribes, the Pharisees, the religious elite, to know that you were a man that had leprosy, that I, Jesus, the Son of God, healed you to record that so that later on there'll be proof that I am who I claim to be. Let's take a look very closely as we close to one final passage in Luke 17. Turn your Bibles there. I don't have that on the screen, but I want you to turn to one passage real quickly, and we're going to close. Luke 17, beginning with verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Sound like our story today? They were cleansed. They were no longer ceremonially unclean. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan, not a Jew. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, for your faith has made you well. How many lepers has he cleaned in this place today. How many of us were beside ourselves and we came to Christ, acknowledged our need, put our request, and he responded, and now we've been made whole. I wonder how many of us will be guilty of what the nine did, or will be responsible for the one did. Only one out of the ten came back and thanked Jesus. I hope and pray that the odds are greater in here than they were on that day.
Good morning. Good to see you today. It's our joy to uh, celebrate two baptisms today. I'll do one and Gail will do the other. And Lexi Barker is our first. And if the Barker family is here to celebrate the life that Christ began in her when she trusted him as her Lord and Savior, would you join us in standing? So the Barker family, you guys join and kind of wave at Lexi. Let her see where you are out there, okay? If you've taught her in life group or any other time, would you stand and join us? All right. Lexley, have you trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. Committed to follow him as the leader of your life? It's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in his death, to walk with Christ in the power of his resurrection. Amen. This is my friend Jade, and if you are part of Jade's family or life group and you've come to celebrate her with her this morning, this baptism, would you stand? Thank you. Jade's mother is uh, on staff here at our church. Most of you all know Miss Lily, and she does a wonderful job in helping us prepare each week for worship. But Jade, this morning, this is about you. Have you come to that place in your life where you know for certain you've asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your Savior and let him be boss? Yes. Because of that decision this morning, it's my privilege to get to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk in newness of life.